Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to our February 9th meeting of the Transbay Joint Powers Authority Board of Directors. I'm Raphael Mandelman. I am the vice chair of this board, but I am sitting in for Chair G this morning, who I believe is um, feeling unwell today. Um, our secretary is Nina, Nina Gonzalez. Um, we, of course, we, of course, have our executive director, uh, Adam Vandewater. And I think that's most of the things that I'm supposed to say before I ask our secretary to, um, to call the roll. Yes, sir. Thank you, Vice Chair Mandelman. Um, we'll go ahead and note, um, as you had indicated, Chair G is absent. Uh, so thank you for presiding over the meeting at such short notice. And uh, David Ambiel, Director Ambiel, is sitting in as Director Eltoansi's alternate. Here. Thank you. Uh, with that, so Director Ambiel is present. Director Forbes? Present. Forbes present as well. Director John Baptiste? Present. John Baptiste present. Director Lipkin? Present. Lipkin present. Director Shaw? Present. Shaw present. Director Tumlin? Present. Tumlin present. Vice Chair Mandelman? Present. Mandelman present uh, as well. Director, we have a quorum. I'll go ahead and call your next item. Please do. All right. Item three is communications. Directors, uh, at this time, we'd like to note the process for members of the public to make public comment. Members of the public may comment on the meeting during public comment periods, in person or remotely. In-person public comment will be taken first. Remote public comment will be taken after. The public comment call-in line is printed on the agenda, and dialing instructions should be scrolling at the bottom of the screen on SFGov TV. Additionally, I'd like to note that we'll be jumping ahead to item six, the CEC update, and then to the regular calendar for the board to consider items for action uh, before we potentially lose quorum. Uh, so with that, uh, shall I call item six? Uh, that would be great. Item six, directors, is the CAC, um, the Citizens Advisory Committee update, and we have Chair Larkin with us. Good morning. Well, that's just going to have to do. <laughs> right. Good morning, board members. I'm Brian Larkin. I'm chair of the TJP CAC, and I'm reporting on our meeting of two days ago, the 7th of this month. Um, our agenda included the staff report, 20-year financial plan, and DTX project cost estimate and funding plan update, the project work plan schedule update, and Title VI program for the 36-month period starting April 1st update. We also heard the quarterly contract security report and monthly facility operations update. Um, Lily Magis Wu provided the staff's report on the activities since our January meeting. It generated neither questions nor comments from the CAC. Alfonso Rodriguez led the presentation on the 20-year financial plan and the project cost estimate. It was a detailed presentation, and it did generate several CAC member questions, the first of which came from Howard Wong, who asked whether the cost estimate's accuracy would affect the tier level at the MTC assigned the project to. He also asked if the lower fare revenues that AC Transit was collecting would affect the project's revenue stream in the financial plan. Pedro Mendez asked about the accuracy of the cost estimate, and Natasha Peterson asked about the basis for the cost escalation forecasts. Alfonso Rodriguez also presented the DTX work plan update. The highlight of which was that the Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association's challenge to RM3 had failed at the California Supreme Court, allowing the project to proceed with right-of-way acquisition. Howard Wong asked if the project had contracted for archaeological services to identify possible items that could delay the underground work. I think the answer was not yet. <clears throat> Ari Walsh gave his monthly report on facility operations. No questions or comments from the CAC on that. 
Rodney Harris gave his quarterly security update. Last quarter was quiet at the Transbase Center. Um, Howard Wong did question whether or not there were security preparations to react to mass shooters, a timely question. Um, Pedro Mendez asked about transit worker identification cards. Finally, new CFO Andrea Miller presented on TJ, TJPA's program for Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The program will cover the next three months starting this April 1st. Anthony Nature asked if the Filipino language would be added to the list of offered languages at the Transit Center. And that, as they say, is that. All right. Thank you, Mr. Chair. And See you next month. Questions? And I do not remember if we take public comment on the CAC report. We will check and see if there are members of the public wishing to comment. I do not see any hands raised, nor do I see anyone in the room. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump to item eight. That would be great. In your regular calendar. Uh, item eight is a presentation of the 20-year financial plan, including the downtown rail extension project cost estimate and funding plan update. And this item will be introduced by uh, TJPA Chief Financial Officer Andrea Miller and co-presented uh, with other team members. Good morning, Vice Chair Mandelman, members of the board. I'm Andrea Miller, CFO. Um, I will introduce and um, give a brief overview of the item before you. Um, the uh, FTA's 20-year financial plan is fairly straightforward and consists of four elements, uh, mainly identifying the cost of operating and maintaining the existing transit facilities in a state of good repair, identify uh, the cost of building, operating, and maintaining the proposed project, uh, to identify revenue to operate and maintain the existing transit facilities, and uh, identify the revenue to build, operate, and maintain the proposed project. Um, the DTX at the portal, it's a bit more complex as usual as it incorporates the, um, the financing plan for both the TJPA and Caltrain uh, Transit Center. The financial plan is a living document. Our submission later this month is the first of several over the next two years as we move through the capital financing and investment grant process. Um, at this stage, for example, FTA only requires us to demonstrate a commitment of 30% of the non-federal grant dollars. And um, I, at this point, I'll turn it over to Oscar Quintanilla and Alfonso Rodriguez, who will go through the remainder of the presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, directors. Um, and so what we're presenting to you today um, consists of two major parts. One is the TJPA's 20-year financial plan without DTX, kind of a no project baseline, and we'll discuss the operating and capital revenues and expenditures, and then we'll go into details on our update to the cost estimate and funding plan for DTX. Um, I'll, I'll walk you through some of the assumptions behind our 20-year projection. Bridge tolls play a significant role in supporting the operation, and there's three components to it. There's nearly $6 million in Regional Measure 2, which grows at about 2.1% per year. There's a three-year supplemental ARM2 allocation, which we've been receiving from MTC and currently ends in fiscal year 24-25, and up to $5 million in Regional Measure 3 support that will start flowing in once the lawsuit is resolved. The EastCut CBD, uh, which was established in 2015, contributes 79.18% of eligible park costs to operate and maintain the park. And the initial term is 15 years. We're assuming that there's a renewal and that the contributions continue at the same level. 
retail, rental, and advertising revenue is a key component of our long-term plan. But as you know, recovery has been lower than anticipated. Uh, in this plan, we assume a full recovery by FY2930. And then, of course, our lease and use payments from our, our primary tenants. Uh, the projection shows a decrease in lease and use payments from $5 million, uh, next year to $2.7 million in 3132. And we continue to seek alternative funding. And I'll come back to this point in a couple of slides. Uh, on the expenditure side, it's, the projection is consistent with the discussion we had last month on the preliminary operating budget. And the transit center um, cost assumes a long-term 3% growth per year. And we maintain existing service levels at the center. And we have a similar assumption with the park with maintaining landscaping and public park programming at those levels. And on the reserve side, we have our emergency reserve that is funded at the board adopted level. And with the imminent resolution of RM3, we're anticipating fully funding the O&M reserve in fiscal year 24-25. Uh, we recognize the severity of the financial situation of our primary tenants. And we will work with you in the coming months to both advocate MTC for extending this supplemental RM2 allocation beyond its current end but also think about what we do with the anticipated RM3 reimbursements once we fully fund the O&M reserve. On the capital side, uh, we have the funding that is dedicated to capital, including AC Transit's capital contribution, which is currently 500,000 per year. And, and this is subject to further discussions with, with AC Transit, of course. Uh, the ESCAT CBD contributes 79.18% of eligible capital maintenance costs for the rooftop park, and we assume that this would continue. And the excess net tax increment after we repay our existing and planned financings uh, would be available to fund the capital replacement reserve. Other sources include interest earnings um, and such. Um, we, of course, continue seeking grant funding uh, for priorities such as wayfinding. On the expenditure side, uh, this was developed based on near-term estimates by staff and our asset manager. A long-term projection is based on the average of, of previous costs and near-term projections. We apply a 3.5% annual escalation rate and we also include life cycle replacement schedules. As you know, we have a brand new facility, but uh, our major systems will need to be replaced or maintained over time, so we are considering that as well. This plan is consistent with the board adopted capital improvement policy, but we recognize that we need to come back to you for the first CIP later this year. And so this is just a draft and we'll provide FTA with updated information after we have more time to discuss. And with that, I'll pass it to Alfonso to discuss the DTX financial plan. Thank you, Oscar. So in the next few slides, I'm going to cover the various elements of the capital cost estimate, uh, the process that we use to review that estimate with, through the MOU, and the assumptions that we concluded are appropriate for that estimate, and then the estimate itself. So the, oops, I'm sorry, I skipped too fast. So the elements are listed, and they include they start with the general engineering consultant's work 
of the measured cost. This is based on the 30% update of the design, and they go line by line from a bottoms-up approach on what those various elements cost. They also apply um, on a contract, on a, on a category basis, design contingencies. Those contingencies range up to 30%, which is um, intended to address the known unknowns, the engineer's experience of the variability of what we might experience. Then we, and a sizable portion of the estimate is what we um, elect to use for escalation. This is a 10-year program, and escalation is a large number depending on what's selected. Um, we also apply a construction contingency on top of all of that, which is intended to address the unknown unknowns. And then we have our program-wide soft costs for pro services, legal, and, and the like. And then for TJPA policy, we do have an overall program reserve that gets applied at the bottom. It's not our intent to use it, but it is a safety net um, in case it's required. And all contingencies are exhausted. So the review process was rigorous and was prescribed by the MOU. Um, it in, involved uh, various consultants, peer reviews, and the IPMT. And then we did present um, various assumptions through the ESC. So um, the review began with staff and our PMPC consultant. Uh, we conducted and engaged an, uh, an independent peer review consultant to review the general engineer's work. Now, the, this independent peer review took the approach of a contractor rather than another design engineer. So they had a different lens. When that independent review was finished, the general engineering consultant and the independent peer reviewer, a consultant, met, conferred, and there were certain adjustments made in the general engineer's consultant's work. It did adjust their, their uh, view of the cost estimate. We did apply um, and review with IPMT various uh, escalation approaches. We have been working, we'll continue to work with IPMT on the risk register. So the risk register gets updated quarterly, and it was used to uh, um, to, it was used as a baseline for a quantitative risk assessment, an exercise that looks at project risks, and recommends various levels of contingency. And we, we use that to benchmark the contingency recommendation presented in this cost estimate. And like I said, IPMT has been engaged throughout the, the entire process. So these are the key assumptions that we apply to the cost estimate, and they include Escalation, which um, in this, the, the economist is, is advising that uh, even though we've experienced a, a high rate of um, cost escalation in construction, it is on the decline. And so we are suggesting that we apply a 6% escalation rate to the construction, to the program costs in 2023, and then straight line it to 3.5% thereout. We don't expect escalation to be an even 3.5% for the life of the project, but the economists had actually suggested that construction growth or escalation will actually dip below 3.5, and we feel 3.5 is appropriate, and actually we benchmarked it against other transit agencies, including the city in their assumptions in their capital program. We used what is called a P65 level of confidence. What is that? So in the quantitative risk assessment, it develops a contingency curve, comparing the risks uh, and, the and the likelihood it would happen and the cost impacts if they would happen. And I'm drawing a virtual curve here, I'm sorry. But um, in that curve, uh, the FTA's guidance suggests that you use a 65% confidence uh, interval or level of confidence to benchmark your contingencies, and that's what we did, and that's what the PMOC, the Program Management Oversight Consultant, will do um, in their review process. I'll talk about that in the later presentation. 
On top of that, we applied an 8% program reserve. Um, a 22.5% is what we feel is sufficient to, to cover uh, per, those soft costs, the professional services. I should point out that the escalation on the next slide is exclusive of financing costs, uh, maintenance of way vehicles, and level boarding um, retrofits for the Caltrain fleet, and additional rolling stock. Now, under recent FTA updated guidance that we received only uh, mid-last month, we are to include financing costs in our submission in February. So the team is working on that. It's just that it's not reflected in, in, this, in this slide uh, that you'll see. So let me get to that. So here we have, um, in the top half of the sheet, the various elements comprising the general engineer's um, measured cost, or cost that, of construction. And that totals $3,716,000,000, and that includes certain allowances for, for defined, um, defined elements of the project. We've been carrying $340 million for right-of-way acquisition. It still seems appropriate. The design contingency that I mentioned for the known unknowns totals uh, $856 million, so it's a sizable amount. And then combined with the construction contingency of $370, that, that equates to about our 60, P65 level of confidence. And then we apply a program reserve on top of that um, for a total of an estimated total at this time of $6,680,000,000. Again, in the presentation that I will cover next, um, the project management oversight consultant in the next six months will engage with us to review our estimate, our assumptions, contingency, and at the end of that process, this number may very well change and we'll bring it back to this board for adoption as a baseline budget. And it'll serve as, the, as the, um, the cost estimate for the grant that we seek. But this is where we are at this point in time. Uh, that concludes this portion of the presentation talking about the cost estimate. I'll turn it back over to Oscar, unless there are questions. Uh, I think there, no, okay. Um, to, and then Jesse after that, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alfonso. Um, so in parallel with the update of the cost estimate, we've been working closely with our partners to revisit and kind of tie up our funding plan. And so the funding plan, as you know, it's a mix of local, state, regional, federal sources. And while the construction of the transit center was primarily funded by local, regional, and state funds, uh, for phase two, we're seeking up to close to 60% in federal funding. And this includes the CIG grant, which is the single largest source in our funding plan. I, go, I won't go into details in all, in all the sources, but I do want to highlight three important events, milestones that have occurred in the last six months that uh, really put us in, in a great position at this time. So in November, San Francisco voters approved the extension of the local sales tax for transportation. Uh, the measure provides $300 million for the project in committed funds, and it's, uh, we're really grateful for that. Two weeks ago, the California Supreme Court, in a one-sentence ruling, dismissed the appeal uh, or cleared the path for unlocking Regional Measure 3. That measure provides $325 million, which are now committed, and we don't have to carry that asterisk in our funding plan. And finally, just last week, the state announced the latest round of transit and intercity rail capital program awards, including the full funding of Caltrain's electrification project. Not only is it a necessary project for DTX, uh, but it also clears the, our path to be top of priority for the region in the next round of TRCP awards. So 
so far, the things that had to go our way have gone our way and put us in a good path moving forward. This slide shows how we meet FTA's milestone of 30% non-CIG funds committed. And as you can see, it's primarily a list of local and regional funds. And we are slightly over the 30% uh, milestone. If we assume that we are successful with securing the CIG grant uh, and our currently committed and budgeted sources are realized, the project would be uh, close to 74% funded which is an important perspective or way of looking at this. Um, there's, this assumes, of course, we're meeting all the technical work required by FTA and securing our local sources, but also focuses our attention in that last 26%, which is the bulk of our work for the next 24 months. And that includes pursuing competitive state and federal grants. We have an application going in tomorrow for TRCP, for example securing our position in MTC's prioritization, which will be up for adoption next month at the commission, and also advocating the state for an extension of cap and trade program, looking at other local sources. Um, and with that, I'll pass it on to Jesse to discuss the O&M portion of DTX. Thanks, Oscar. Good morning, directors. Jesse Kaler, SFCTA. Uh, turning to the operating side of the financial plan, this slide enumerates the major assumptions underpinning that plan. This financial plan uh, reflects a two-agency approach, including costs and funding for both TJPA and Caltrain operations. California high-speed rail has not been included in the financial plan based on guidance from FTA. This is because FTA's evaluation of the project will be based on the initial condition during which Caltrain will be the sole rail operator use, utilizing the facility. The 20-year financial plan covers approximately 10 years of initial Caltrain service, assuming completion of construction in 2032. The financial plan assumes a Caltrain service level of four trains per hour per direction, traveling to and from the transit center during weekday peak periods. In addition to the level of service at the transit center and at the underground 4th and Townsend station, two trains per hour would continue to terminate at the surface 4th and King rail yard. This service for configuration allows for a future overall service level between San Francisco and San Jose of six trains per hour per direction, which is consistent with Caltrain's full funding grant agreement with FTA for the electrification project, and which can be provided with the new rolling stock being commissioned by Caltrain in conjunction with electrifying the railroad. This service plan is subject to refinement based on further analysis and decision making, including with respect to further future expansion of Caltrain's electrified fleet. Finally, the O&M plan incorporates the project's current ridership forecast, which has been prepared by the Transportation Authority, working in cooperation with TJPA and Caltrain, and reflecting technical guidance and requirements from FTA. The year-by-year -year ridership forecast assumes completion of electrification in the latter part of 2024, as scheduled, and contemplates a return to 2019 ridership levels by approximately 2032. The long-term ridership forecast for 2040 is consistent with results from the project's STOPS model, which is FTA's model framework for evaluation of candidate CIG projects. TJPA and Caltrain have jointly prepared a preliminary estimate of the project's operating and maintenance costs. These costs are the incremental costs to operate the expanded facility, including two new stations, as well as to operate expanded Caltrain service and to conduct routine maintenance. Annual operating and maintenance costs for the project have been preliminarily estimated at approximately $40 million per year in current year dollar terms. 
This estimate does not presume a specific allocation of cost burden or responsibility across agencies, and it will continue to be further refined through preparation of the updated financial plan in the coming months. With respect to O&M funding, the initial financial plan to be submitted this month will reflect known operating funding sources attributable to the project with the remaining O&M funding shortfall. The magnitude of this shortfall is forecast to decline over time as transit ridership recovers over the long term. FTA does not require project sponsors to have a fully committed O&M funding plan. However, the financial plan and its future updates will need to describe the approach to securing operating funds over time in order to be prepared to operate the expanded transit system by the time it is planned to come online. In this context, the initial financial plan identifies the broad range of potential future O&M funding sources under consideration to fill the, fulfill the operating needs of the project. The table on this slide summarizes the currently known and potential future O&M funding sources for the project. The plan incorporates incremental revenues associated with the project, including additional facility revenues due to the expanded facilities with anticipated higher passenger volumes. In addition, the financial plan reflects the incremental fare revenue from additional ridership due to the completion of the project. There remains future revenue risk to the extent that ridership underperforms relative to forecast, and I will note that fair revenue alone would not be expected to cover 100% of operating costs for the project, even if ridership forecasts are fully achieved in the longer term. It's also important to note in this regard that the calculation and allocation of incremental fair revenue is still to be negotiated between Caltrain and TJPA. Turning to potential additional funding sources, a number of options are under consideration to close any O&M funding gap. These potential approaches include consideration of a fare surcharge or additional fare zone for trips originating from or destined to the new destination of the transit center. In addition, there are potential other strategies such as local or regional funding measures, developer contributions or programs, and joint development investment. With that, I will turn the presentation back to Alfonso to close out staff's remarks. Oh, there's actually just I get to field all the questions, it seems. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll call for help. Are there any questions? And directors, if I may, this is an informational item. It is the body of work that the staff has been working on for some time um, that underlies the next item, which is an action item uh, to uh, authorize me to submit this body of work to the Federal Transit Administration as part of our request to enter engineering. But we'd be happy to take any questions you have on the material now. Colleagues. Yes. Um, I, I do have two questions. Uh, well, I guess one question, and I think you, you probably answered it in there. You're talking about the operating funds for once DTX, the portal, is there. Um, so does that include um, uh, costs for, uh, include the building itself? Or is that still to be worked out? I think uh, you talked about the MOU. Is that still to be worked out there? The estimate does include costs for the building itself, but the details and the breakdown is still subject to discussion. Thank you. That's all. Uh, Director Jean-Baptiste. Thank you. Uh, not so much a question as a comment, but I noticed in the, the funding plan for the operations and maintenance long-term, a uh, potential consideration of a fair surcharge sort of a zone-based charge, which I think is reasonable and certainly consistent with the way that we do fares now. I just would caution us as we 
walk down this path with FTA to not get overly prescriptive with that model because we do have a lot of conversation underway at a regional scale, thinking about fair revenue and fair policy more broadly, and we just don't want to constrain ourselves and codify a particular um, way of approaching fares that might be inconsistent with the policy direction of the region going forward. So just, it, it, I, I, I'm supportive of the idea, and I just want to caution us not to get overly um, committed to a particular approach. Thanks for that question, Director. Or the, uh, the point, uh, Director John Batiste, I'll just comment uh, that you're spot on, and we're very conscious that we're a decade away from the opening of this project if we hit all of our marks. And so I think the principle would be that uh, there would be an opportunity to generate some additional quantum of revenue associated with the new destination, and that we are aware that fair policy, whether at a corridor level or regionally, is going to evolve uh, in this period, and that we would want to make sure to not box ourselves in or Caltrain in uh, relative to those discussions that are going to proceed at a policy level for many years. Thank you. Um, <laughs> for my part, I want to um, thank uh, TJPEA and um, other staff for um, for all of their work on this. Um, it's a big, big lift, and um, I know you're all working really, really hard. Um, you know, I think there has there was some sticker shock. Um, around the approaching seven, not seven billion, but <laughs> approaching seven billion dollar figure. I think we all recognize that um, the longer this project drags on, the more expensive it will be, um, that uh, we are closer to a realistic cost estimate for this project than we have ever been, and that if we want to hold this, um, hold to some, hold to this number or something close to it, uh, we need to follow the, the path that's been laid out. Um, I am gratified that San Franciscans uh, continue to do our part and that our voters voted um, for Prop L, and so we will have, you know, $300 million to put, well, additional dollars to put towards this. Um, I'm, I'm also, um, and I know we're all pretty excited that Regional Measure 3 looks like, you know, is, is now into the mix, um, uh, you know, as a, as, a, as a San Francisco representative, I do continue to have some concern that this not remain a San Francisco project forever. At the same time, I think um, as a San Francisco uh, representative that um, from a, a government that has put a fair amount into this, um, I feel better about this project and I think the members of the Transportation Authority Board, Board of Supervisors feel better about this project than certainly we did a couple of years ago. I think that has a lot to do with the, the cross-agency collaboration and the close work that's been done through the MOU um, over, the, over this time, and I think it's um, uh, important that that uh, close work continue going forward. Um, and I guess just a couple of questions. Um, how close, I mean, how, how close do we think we are on the, cap? what are the, you know, how close do we think we are in the capital cost estimate and what might need to be adjusted, at least in the short term? Well, certainly uh, the addition of financing costs that we're working through. We maintain conversations with Caltrain about what the cost of the level boarding retrofit is to the EMU fleet coming into Salesforce, um, the p potential of rolling stock to be included in the grant. There are spare parts, by the way, in this estimate, but those conversations are ongoing. 
And then during that same period, uh, our cost estimate and schedule is going to be reviewed by the project management oversight consultant. And so there will likely be lots of questions. And it's all about risk. Are you covering the risk? Did you adequ adequately represent the cost of the elements at this point in time? Is escalation reasonable? Well, it's likely going to change some values. One thing I didn't mention is we will continue to employ value engineering uh, in the next few months. We have some recent suggestions on our latest value engineering workshop that has the potential to make further reductions in lowering that cost estimate, much like we did in the phasing study. So there is that balance. Um, so what is my, my level of confidence? I feel very confident with the number we have at this point in time. There are things, though, that can bring it down, maybe bring it up. Um, and, and that lies ahead of us in the six months when we engage FTA. Yeah, Director Jean-Baptiste. Um, one other thought. I just really want to echo my colleagues' appreciation for the staff work that has gone into this. This is a huge level of effort to come to this point, and I think I, like others, feel more confident in these numbers than we've been able to feel up until this point because of the depth of work that's gone into it and also the partnership. I really appreciate the fact that so many different agencies are coming to the table in such a sustained and committed way to advance this project, and I know that that type of partnership is gonna be essential for us to actually deliver this project um, over the course of the next 10 years, and so just wanna appreciate everybody who has been working so hard on such an accelerated schedule to bring this forward, so thank you. Thank you for that, Agnar. Director Tumlin. Uh, and having just completed a over a billion dollar project that ran 20% over budget, I also want to uh, acknowledge that you are including uh, realistic contingencies in your budget uh, and realistic cost estimates, which I appreciate. In order to build trust with the electorate, we need to be truthful with the electorate about costs as well as the unknowns. Uh, that we discover once we start digging underground. So I, you have my confidence that these are real numbers rather than politically driven numbers uh, and therefore uh, support uh, from us to move forward. Thank you, Director. Seems like we should take some public comment. Yes, thank you. Uh, no members in the room. However, we do have someone uh, on um, line. Moderator, can you put the caller through? Good morning, uh, Director Sproul and Robrand San Jose. Um, the first thing I would like to bring your attention is that uh, item number seven, public comment, what, what Kip maybe answered. Um, the, I've got a quick comment, obviously the sticker shock. Um, based off my experience is what happened in uh, San Jose with Bart. Uh, when you include the, the cost of financing, realistically, I believe you're looking at something in the region of $7.5 billion. By that point in time, you've got to realize that the cost per foot is approximately $1 million per foot. Um, and that basically is happening because the construction uh, methodology uh, suggested by the consultant is to essentially build the entire thing exactly the way that we build the central subway Chinatown station. And I believe Mr. Tamlin is very familiar with that. That was 300 feet. We're now proposing to do the exact, the exact same thing for a mile and a half. 
I'll put it to you, there's something fundamentally wrong with that. Um, now, through the chair, uh, I don't know if somebody um, in the room uh, from Caltrain who could speak a little bit about this cost of level boarding retrofit, because that frankly doesn't make any sense at all. And then, let me wrapping up by, by saying, um, if we start talking about equity, at least South of San Jose, and we have only got one platform on side of the tracks. And when the Union Pacific trains happens to be occupying the wrong track, the only way we have to board the train is if a Caltrain employee puts a step tool on the tracks for us to board the trains. And when you are, when you are my age or you have a wheelchair, you're out of luck. Thank you. Thank you, caller. And uh, Mr. LeBrun, we will be coming back to item seven, public comment we'd announced earlier. So if you hang on, we'll get back to that after the action items on the regular calendar. Uh, that completes members that wanted to address you under this item. We'll go ahead and call your next item. Okay. Right. Item nine directors is authorizing the executive director to submit a letter and supporting information to the Federal Transit Administration for the purpose of requesting entry of phase two of the Transbay program, more commonly referred to as the downtown rail extension, into the engineering phase of the capital investment grants, new starts process. This item will be presented by Alfonso Rodriguez. Thank you, uh, Director, uh, Chair Mandelman, board members. I'm gonna smile because this has been quite a journey. And on behalf of the team, we are all excited to reach this milestone. And, um, and that milestone is seeking your approval to authorize our executive director to request entry to the FTA to enter the engineering phase of the grant process. Uh, we've completed all the tasks necessary to make that request we secured sufficient funding to reach this milestone. Um, and with FTA's approval to enter engineering and our ability to demonstrate funding of half of our non-capital investment grants amount, and one more and, and with a favorable recommendation from the FTA, we can request our grant in August. Um, and I'll cover some of those things here in a moment. I, I wanna mention if we successfully reach August milestone, then we can, when, then we can expect to hear FTA's um, the result of their recommendation in February of the next year or in 2024. So if adopted um, by FTA, then we can begin negotiations of our full funding grant agreement, uh, which I'll refer now as the NFFGA, and we can expect construction with that FFGA on our civil and tunnel contract works at the end of 2025. Now that work will be preceded from some enabling works projects that um, once we get right away that allows us to make way for that large contract with appropriate advanced authorizations from FTA. So um, again, with your approval today, uh, we will provide FTA with, an, with the required six months notice in advance of entering engineering. Uh, we're fortunate that FTA had acknowledged our current schedule and had the confidence in us um, to assign their project management oversight consultant or PMOC early. So that PMOC has already been reviewing draft versions of our documents. They were attending our e, um, IPMT meetings to get up to speed. I believe they even watched some of the ESC meetings just to become familiar. And only last week, we spent a day and a half with them here on site to help them better understand the, the alignment, the, the environmental setting, and its importance to the region. We'll continue to meet with them monthly um, as we progress, as they progress in their assessment of our, their document review. Now concurrent with our request to enter engineering, we're also requesting the FTA to conduct a rating of our project. Uh, so together with PMOC's assessment 
of our capacity capability and readiness, and with an overall favorable rating by FTA, and our ability to demonstrate our new uh, funding match of that 50% in August, we will be eligible for a grant. So um, this initial project rating evaluates our project justification and our local financial commitment, both having equal weight in that overall rating. FTA will conduct, uh, may conduct another rating later in the process and likely before the issuance, issuance of a final grant, which is expected in the spring of 2025. Just a couple of things on what the PMOC will be doing. They'll assess our design cost and schedule. They'll assess our delivery program, management capacity and capability, project controls, and overall readiness to advance to the next phase, which is engineering. And that assessment feeds into the FTA's overall rating, which we are seeking a favorable rating. So some of the next steps, and this is my last slide. Um, we will again have um, a meeting next week with the FTA, and we've been having monthly meetings with them before our submission in February. And in those discussions, we just go over expectations on what they'll get and clarifications. With the board's approval today, we'll be able to submit our request. FTA will at that point formally launch the PMOC in their, in their formal review and assessment. And as part of their assessment, they will provide that independent view of our cost schedule and program risk, whereby, as I mentioned later, we may come back to the board and, ES, and, and, and IPMT and discuss any uh, reasonable adjustments. Because once we agree to a, a new cost and schedule, that cost estimate is firmly fixed in the full funding grant agreement through the life of the project. So that concludes this presentation. I'm available to answer your questions, but this is an action item. Colleagues? Um, I mean, given the close collaboration that's happened among the different agencies up to this point in um, setting us up for this vote, I'm curious what the role of Caltrain and the TA will be in partnering around this work through the FDA review, review review process? Sure. Well, um, we have already invited Caltrain and, and CTA in our coordination with them. Uh, both were present at the PMOC onsite. We have um, every intention as we move forward in these next six months that as the PMOC seeks clarification that we require their presence to help us with that. Again, that PMOC is going to talk about our overall management capability and project readiness. And both parties are key in helping us get there. The, um, the questions can, will, will likely be very focused on risk. So they'll challenge our work. Challenge is probably a strong word. They will seek to s clarify <laughs> our work. Challenge um, is fine. <laughs> <laughs> they might agree. But um, yeah, they're going to seek to uh, for clarification. And we do require CTA support because they helped us with our financial plan. Certainly Caltrain support because they generated the O&M plan for their system. Uh, this collaboration that we've been so lucky to have so far, I see continuing in the next six months because we need it.
if All I right. could add, directors, the, the Rail Peninsula program MOU does continue for six months, was initially adopted in 2020 to get us through this design policy and pre-procurement phase. Um, but as uh, Director uh, Rodriguez mentioned, we have really benefited from that collaboration and we'll be bringing an item to you in terms of governance post-procurement. Um, and how we engage the technical advisory and various expertise of the various agencies involved um, going forward. Of course, the environment will change once we're in procurement and have a general contractor on board. Um, and of course, our spend levels will go up accordingly. Um, so we'll be, we'll be needing to make decisions very efficiently and quickly, but we want to do that as collaboratively as possible. So note to you that we'll be coming back to you um, for a governance discussion, I believe, in May. Director Jean-Baptiste. Thanks for that, Director. Um, I just, just to be clear about this, my understanding is that our agreement among the many parties expires in June, and I would assume that at least as a minimum, we would want that to carry forward through this process with the FTA through August. Is May going to give us enough time to make sure that we have really thought through our governance before we're hitting that expiration date? Most of the primary decisions, as uh, Director Rodriguez has mentioned, our project delivery method, our financing plan, our uh, implementation plan have been working their way through that MOU process, through the IPMT, the ESC, and ultimately through this board. Um, the big outstanding ones is the project management oversights review over the coming six months and the development of the master cooperative agreement with the initial operator at Caltrain. So those conversations are ongoing now and we'll go through that process through termination in June and it is my expectation that we will continue that relationship going forward so that we have the benefit of all those stakeholders prior to our final submittal because as you heard, uh, when we get to August, we'll be locking in that cost estimate. So the cost estimate you hear today will go up or down depending on value engineering, financing costs, PMOC review um, over the next six months. And we want to make sure that it is as accurate and, and inclusive as possible. And we want to make sure that the stakeholders have a, a seat at that table while we develop those numbers. Thank you. Um, I want to thank Director Jean-Baptiste for the question. And I probably will need a little more um, clarification on, on how that, uh, what happens with, with that MOU um, and whether... Um, and what happens af after June. Um, because I do think there was a very heavy level of distrust um, you know, that ground this project to a halt for a period of time coming from the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. And I think we need to not get back into that space. So. Um, um, if I could, I see this in three phases, where we are today under the Rail Peninsula Program MOU, which continues through June 5th, um, and then there's the active governance conversation I mentioned will come to you in May, which will govern how we go through procurement and construction going forward, and then the third phase is the kind of interregnum there where uh, if the MOU expires in June, but we're completing some of that work through the MCA and PMOC, not to over-acronymize you, um, that we continue that collaboration, and is that an extension of the existing relationship or just a convening of the parties. In either respect, I think we want those people and have benefited from those organizations involved. So we'll come back to you with kind of a detailed plan as we get through the particulars. And then just to ask an unpleasant question, what happens if we do not have an updated funding plan by August? 
uh, an updated funding plan. We, we have an updated funding plan, um, and you saw we have a, a number of paths to get through there. Um, you may have heard from Mr. Quintanilla that we are being uh, we will be submitting a $60 million uh, application to the state's cap-and-trade program through the Transit Inner City Regional Capital Program. Um, we have the MTC's endorsement from that. We have about 27 letters of support already in hand for that application, so we feel pretty good about that. Um, if we are awarded that, it'll come in the next several months and prior to August and uh, bridge about half of our remaining gap for August. As you heard, we need to have 50% of the non-CIG match by August, um, and there are several sources for that remaining delta. Um, we'll be putting together a federal-state partnership for inner-city rail federal application. We have a CRISI application into the federal government, um, and we have a couple of other ways to kind of bridge that gap. Um, but we will need to demonstrate commitment of those funds or uh, approved budgeting of those funds prior to uh, to that August submittal. Your answer is that we will have closed our gaps and we will have identified sources so we don't need to think about what happens if we the, uh, that is our expectation though we certainly need to be successful in some of our um, upcoming uh, applications in order to do so okay all right let's uh if i may i'm assuming the tjpa staff is thinking about it every day <laughs> Crying. <laughs> the important thing to note is the FTA does this on an annual basis. So if we don't do it by August, we we necessarily go to the following August. So time is of the essence, and uh, we've been clear about that with our funding partners, our state delegation, as we approach some of these funding opportunities. Okay. Public comment. Yes, uh, we'll check for public comment in the room. Seeing none, we'll check online. I do not see any hands raised right now giving them a moment just in case. There are no members of the public wishing to comment on this item. All right, uh, so public comment on item nine is closed and we will entertain a motion to approve item nine. Um, so moved. By Tumlin and seconded. Seconded. By Forbes. All right, thank you very much. I'm honored to call this uh, roll call vote. Uh, Director Forbes. Aye. Forbes, aye. Director John Baptiste. Aye. John Baptiste, aye. Director Lipkin? Aye. Lipkin, aye. Director Shaw? Aye. Shaw, aye. Director Tumlin? Aye. Tumlin, aye. And Vice Chair Mandelman? Aye. Mandelman, aye as well. Item nine is approved. Congratulations. Great. Let's take a breath. Go to the next item. <laughs> yes, we'll go ahead and call your next item. Item 10 is the San Francisco Peninsula Rail Program Executive Steering Committee update and status of the Downtown Rail Extension Work Plan Schedule. I'm Michelle Bouchard, ESC Chair and Executive Director of Caltrain. We'll provide the update, uh, followed by Alfonso Rodriguez, who'll provide the status of the schedule. Uh, members of the board, what a good day. I'm smiling <laughs> uh, with Alfonso. Uh, I guess it's only downhill from here. Um, I will say, uh, with my Caltrain hat on, I do want to thank uh, San Francisco and all of the support that we got for our TIRCP grant. Happy to step out of the way uh, to clear the way for the $60 million that this program needs. Um, today marks a significant milestone in our partnership to make the portal a reality. Specifically, today's approval authorizing Executive Director Vandewater to submit a request to enter into engineering allows progression into the second phase of FTA's capital investment grants process. This action culminates in efforts spanning two years of collaborative work under the San Francisco Peninsula Rail Program MOU. And speaking for the ESC, I can tell you that the partner agencies are excited and proud of all that we've been able to achieve under this multi-agency agreement. As presented in the portal's 20-year financial plan, 
We lay out the draft cost estimate for construction and operation of the portal, including Caltrain's services. We also describe the initial funding plan to offset those costs. While this initial plan does not fully address the funding challenges we face, it does meet the specific FTA requirements for this stage of the grant process. At the January ESC meeting, the ESC members discussed some of the issues that will continue to be addressed as we progress. We're all well aware of the COVID-induced operations and maintenance revenue gap affecting all Bay Area transit providers, including Caltrain. As we progress through the next FTA grant milestone, we'll work together and with the FTA to address this issue. As chair of the ESC, I'm extremely proud of the work that our partnership has accomplished under this MOU. We have so far met the accelerated work plan schedule and will continue to press forward as the portal undergoes FTA's readiness review and rating effort. I personally want to thank all of the staff that's been working diligently to make sure that we get to this milestone today. So with that, I'll turn it over to Alvonso to present the look ahead. Thanks very much. Thank you. This is a familiar slide, I'm sure, and we continue to advance through the months, getting us to August. Uh, next month, this board can expect to receive an item that extends the letter of agreement with Caltrain. That letter of agreement is um, serving as the, um, um, the governing um, document or principles or, or points of agreement until we reach uh, and present to you in August the master cooperative agreement. But that LOA that was adopted last year expires in, in March. We will also uh, ask for you to award an archeological con services contract to help us in advance of the real estate program. And speaking of the real estate program, there will be a relocation impact study that'll come before you in May. Also in May is the ICA that we hope to present to you, which is that agreement with all the city departments and the governance work that Adam had mentioned earlier, and then the project delivery implementation plan that'll help us um, uh, precisely uh, outline how those procurement documents will be developed. And then, of course, subject to funding, we get to launch the right-of-way uh, acquisition program. Not much different than last month, but we continue to make progress. That's it. All right. Thank you. Directors, looks like we're good. Good work. Take public comment. Checking for public comment. None in the room. And uh, none online either. So we'll uh, go ahead and call your next item. All right. Stay right there. Yeah, I get to stay. All right, item 11, uh, directors is authorizing the executive director to execute amendment number two to the agreement um, 2606 GEC 000 general engineering consultant services for the downtown rail extension project with Parsons, authorizing additional scope and increasing the contract amount by 20 million for a total not to exceed contract amount 47.5 million consistent with the original procurement strategy to allow Parsons to perform needed continuing engineering services under the accelerated schedule. And directors, I'll uh, note for the record in the public that there was an error on page 7 and 8 of Amendment 2, where the text stated station fit-out design at the Salesforce Transit Center in the 4th and Townsend Street station is excluded from this contract Amendment 2 and will be covered under a future contract amendment. Please note, and will be covered under a future contract amendment has been struck. Also, the text which read engineering support to be covered under a future contract amendment has been replaced with engineering support excluded from this contract Amendment 2. Um, the revision is also posted to the website and is before you in hard copy. Uh, Alfonso Rodriguez will present the item. Thank you, uh, Chair Manaman, board members. I am accompanied today by a member from Parsons Engineering, uh, Rebecca Wong, who serves as our design ma manager. Would you stand, please? She is part of our team. 
So in November of 2020, the board did award a general engineering contract to Parsons Engineering. I will refer to that as the GEC. The scope of work for that contract included project management, project development, including engineering design, project procurement support, and engineering support during construction. At the time of the procurement, the RFP contemplated full engineering services necessary to support the project through construction. But since the TJPA had not yet selected its delivery method, only a portion of the GEC's contract was authorized. In this, and this included engineering work to update the, the engineering that was um, available at that time and advance it to the 30% phase and including that new estimate that I had just presented and also to provide project development phase support throughout that process. An amount of $25 million for a base contract was requested by staff at that time, acknowledging that a subsequent authorization for the remaining scope of work would be, would be requested once we have selected the delivery method. And as you know, we have. The base contract was issued with a four-year term with the option to extend for two additional three-year periods. And I did want to point out that GEC, GEC is presently exceeding its um, SBE and DBE goals. So the purpose of Amendment 2 is to prepare design and bid documents to advance the utility relocation construction package, uh, also to include uh, design engineering drawings for the advanced relocation work at the 4th and King Rail Yard required to make way for the DTX project, and the pre preparation of design and bid documents to advance the building demolition construction packages known as advanced works. And there are other elements of, of the scope of work, including advancing core systems and track work to a 60% level. Um, I just wanted to point out that the other scope elements listed will be completed before November of 2024. I did want to kind of show a snapshot of the contract history with that base contract authorization of 25 million. I would like to point out an amendment in the amount of $2.5 million was issued late last year under the uh, executive director's delegated authority to allow us to advance certain elements of work that was not um, funded in that first authorization. Um, if the amendment number two today is approved, the total contract amount will be $47.5 million. <clears throat> the reason for this request is to progress our work within the board adopted work plan and project schedule. And we are recommending this amendment with Parsons to maintain continuity of the work so far with an informed understanding of the work that lies ahead. And that this phase of work was contemplated under the procurement of the original GEC contract. So the remaining engineering scope, and I want to point out it's beyond this amendment, um, involves completing design and bid documents for the core systems and track work, which is scheduled to be performed once we've secured our construction manager general contractor, known as CMGC. It is appropriate to engage them in completing the design package. It also include, again, outside of the scope, design and bid documents for the station fit-out and related systems for construction. And again, this will be conducted with the engagement of the CMGC once they're on board. I'd like to point out also that our schedule does permit this particular component of the work that lies ahead, which is station fit out and design, to be competitively bid if the board so directs this approach. I should also mention that the civil and tunnel construction work will be, competed, um, will be competitively procured in a future progressive design build contract 
The civil and tunnel construction package represents about 60% of the overall construction program. So in other words, the design associated with that is a significant amount of work, and that will be in a competitive procurement ahead of us. Other future work includes design management uh, of the progressive design build contracting team and engineering support during construction like once we get to that point. So what I mentioned just now are those scope elements that are not included in this amendment that are required as engineering support to progress the project through construction. Well, this concludes my presentation on this item. I'm available to answer your questions. Thank you. Commissioners? Maybe more of a, a comment, but Alfonso, I appreciate the, the work and thinking through the contracting strategy on the GEC and, and the amendment strategies here, because uh, I know there's been conversations around kind of which pieces to include here and elsewhere, so I, I just want to say that I appreciate the extra work that your team has done to really look at that question and figure out which pieces could be potentially competitively bid uh, as of the remaining scope to make sure that we're kind of keeping the amendments more or less in line with what we had uh, budgeted on the original piece of the work. All right, let's open this to public comment. All right, we do have one member of the public um, online. If there are any members in the room, seeing none, we'll go ahead and let the caller in, moderator, please. Um, thank, you. thank you, directors. Uh, first of all, for um, highlighting uh, the changes to the contract uh, which I found uh, this morning. Uh, you can easily find them. They're, they're all um, uh, red line. Um, I'd like to touch um, uh, very briefly um, on the letter I wrote to the uh, board about this. Is that history will reveal that this consultant is directly responsible for the sticker shock um, that you um, mentioned earlier. Um, the other point I made is that the um, approach we have taken to the to the heavy civils is a progressive uh, design build. So it's unclear why this consultant here should be doing 100% design of site clearance, uh, building demolition, etc. That should be deferred to be a progressive uh, uh, design um, builder. But, but in closing, um, I would like to bring to your attention that this contract was never presented to the Executive Steering Committee, DEFC. And if that had happened, there would have been more, more than adequate time for members of the public to review the contract and the, the background uh, history. So in my, my closing, my recommendation to the board is to refer this item back to DEFC uh, for further discussion and then uh, bring it back to, to the TJPA board next month. Thank you. That concludes members of the public that wanted to address you under that item. All right. Uh, is there a motion to approve item 11? I'll make a motion to approve. Moved by Forbes. Is there a second? I'll second. Seconded by Jean-Baptiste. Please oh. roll. All right, with the first and the second, uh, Director Forbes. Aye. Forbes, aye. Director Jean-Baptiste. Aye. Jean-Baptiste, aye. Director Lipkin. Aye. Lipkin, aye. Director Shaw. Aye. Shaw, aye. Director Tomlin. Aye. Tomlin, aye. And Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye as well. Item 11 is approved. I'll go ahead and call your next item. 
All right, item 12 is authorizing the executive director to execute a memorandum of agreement with the Peninsula Corridor Joint Powers Board, also known as Caltrain, uh, for reimbursement from TJPA to Caltrain for Caltrain consultant efforts to advance downtown rail extension and enabling works planning in an amount not to exceed 595000 and a term expiring no later than March 31st, 2024. And this item will be presented by Anna Harvey, uh, Deputy Project Director, Engineering. Good morning, uh, Vice Chair Mandelman and Directors. Uh, Anna Harvey, Deputy Project Director for Engineering, here to present item 12. Uh, which is a request to authorize the executive director to execute the agreement with Caltrain so we can reimburse them for consultant costs related to design of a portion of the enabling works that prepare the Caltrain yard for the portal project's construction. As you will recall, in July of 2022, this board adopted a project delivery approach which included an enabling works component, one portion of which is related to advanced site work in the 4th and King Rail Yard. Since then, TJP and Caltrain have been working closely and collaboratively to progress this critical piece of the project. As this board has heard and as the Peninsula Corridor Joint Powers Board received an update on at their January Work Program Legislative Program Subcommittee meeting and their February board meeting last week, TJPA and Caltrain are negotiating a critical agreement termed the Master Cooperative Agreement or MCA, which is anticipated to be brought before this board for approval in summer of 2023. In the interim period before the MCA is in place, TJPA and Caltrain continue to convene and work collaboratively, as we've referenced multiple times already this morning, across a variety of areas, including these enabling works, which will need to take place uh, within the Caltrain yard. So to assist with planning and managing this complex and critical piece of work, Caltrain will be required to dedicate staff resources and retain a consultant to coordinate with TJPA on their behalf. After careful consideration on our side, um, TJPA staff agree that it's appropriate that Caltrain retain this expert advising and oversight capacity, given the potential impact that the enabling works construction may have on Caltrain's operations, which of course need to be kind of protected and considered throughout our own construction. In December, uh, Caltrain engaged in a qualifications-based selection process to provide those required consultant services from their on-call program management oversight bench. Caltrain has received and is evaluating proposals from that bench and anticipates recommending award of a contract to its own board in early March. To fund these consultant services, the parties negotiated the attached memorandum of agreement, which would reimburse Caltrain for the actual cost of the consultant services uh, plus their um, ICAP multiplier in an amount not to exceed $595,000 and a term expiring no later than March 31st, 2024. Uh, should this MOA be approved uh, by you today, the Caltrain board is expected to consider it at its own board meeting in early March. Um, just as a note, uh, per a question from Director Shaw last week at the look ahead regarding this item, the TJPA had initially anticipated providing all of the enabling works planning services through our own forces or consultants. Uh, accordingly, the budget under this MOA was already anticipated as a program cost and is being transferred from TJP to Caltrain. Staff continues to work with Caltrain in development of the MCA, and as just as a reminder, we expect to bring that item before you in the summer of 2023. This concludes my brief verbal remarks, and I'm available for any questions. Thank you. Director Yeah, I do appreciate the extra comment. I, I did find it odd that, um, I mean, I understand the need for the resource, but I do find it odd that we're outsourcing it just to pay an overhead when they just went out. If it was Caltrain staff, I would understand it, but since they just went out for bid, I don't know why we're having to pay the extra overhead when we could have gone out for that bid. So I, um, I still find that very odd. Thank you. Let's open this to public comment. 
right, seeing if there are any members in the room. Seeing none, I can't really see over the podium, but I don't think there are any. Um, checking online, also none online. So, uh, motion. Is there a motion to approve uh, item 12? I'll move the item. Moved by Lipkin, is there a second? Second, Tumlin. Seconded by Tumlin. Uh, please call the roll. Great. Uh, with that, Director Forbes? Aye. Forbes, aye. Director Jean-Baptiste? Aye. Jean-Baptiste, aye. Director Lipkin? Aye. Lipkin, aye. Director Shaw? Abstain. Abstain. Director Tumlin? Aye. Tumlin, aye. And Vice Chair Mandelman? Aye. Mandelman, aye. With one, two, three, four, five uh, eyes, the item is approved. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <coughs> and with that. All right, we'll go ahead and call your next item. Okay. Item 13 is approving the TJPA's Title VI program for the triennial period of April 1st, 2023 to March 31st, 2026 for the Transbate program, and the item will be presented by Andrea Miller, uh, TJPA CFO. Good morning again. Again. The Title VI program update is submitted to the Federal Transit Administration every three years to describe the measures being taken to assure non-discrimination when offering services to the public. The plan before you covers the period of April 1st, uh, 2023 through March 31st, 2026. Every Title VI program shall include the following nine elements. Two of the elements, um, bullets number seven and eight, do not apply to TJPA, as the TJPA does not have subrecipients of federal funding uh, received and the construction of the new facility occurred outside of the window of this update. The public participation plan component summarizes outreach efforts uh, made since the Title VI program update was last submitted. This includes posting the Title VI program to information to the TJPA website, which is currently included uh, under the Contact Us section on our website. The language assistance plan looked at a variety of data from several counties to inform the plan. Even though Chinese and Spanish are the predominant languages, there are 20 other safe harbor languages for a total of 22. The results of the language assistance plan will be considered in determining other languages uh, for translation if needed. And there's a definition of what in, uh, safe harbor languages are and how they're considered. The FTA has determined that vital documents are those items that would result in a barrier to access uh, for limited English proficiency individuals if they were not translated. And for the sake of the TJPA's uh, program, that's considered the Title VI notice. The complaint forms and instructions are all uh, considered title, uh, sorry, uh, vital documents, which are also included on our website. And that concludes my presentation, if there are any questions. Thank you. Directors, no, oh, Director Jean-Baptiste. This is maybe a little bit of a nerdy question, but um, I was just curious how, what's the population pool that you use to determine the language requirements? That is a great question, and I don't have that answer right in front of me, but I can look into it and get back to you nope. through our just curious. executive director. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Let's take public comment. All right, uh, no members in the room indicating they wish to provide public comment and no members online uh, indicating that they wish to provide public comment. All right, is there a motion to approve item 13? So moved. Moved by Timlin and seconded by Shaw. Let's please call the roll. All right, with the first and a second, Director Forbes. Aye. Forbes, aye. Director John baptiste Aye. 
Mr. Maltese, aye. Director Lipkin? Aye. Lipkin, aye. Director Shaw? Aye. Shaw, aye. Director Tumlin? Aye. Tumlin, aye. And Vice Chair Mandelman? Aye. Mandelman, aye as well. Item 13 is approved. I'll call your next item. Thank you. All right. Item 14 is approving the minutes of the January 12, 2023 meeting. No members of the public have indicated they wish to comment on the item. You have an opportunity to do so now, seeing none in the room, seeing none online. All right. Is there a motion to approve the minutes? So moved. Moved by Jean-Baptiste. Second. Seconded by Forbes. Madam Secretary, please call the roll. All right. With that, uh, Director Forbes. Aye. Forbes, aye. Director Jean-Baptiste. Aye. Jean-Baptiste, aye. Director Lipkin. Aye. Lipkin, aye. Director Shaw. Aye. Shaw, aye. Director Tumlin. Aye. Tumlin, aye. And Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye as well. Uh, item 14 is approved. Uh, directors, we'll go ahead and head back to uh, items 4, 5, and 7 now. Yep. All right, item four, directors, is uh, Board of Directors New and Enrolled Business. Anything you want to share? We got nothing. All right. <laughs> Seeing none, we'll go ahead and call uh, the Executive Director Report, item five. Mr. Vandwater. Directors, I th thank you for your uh, efficiency and approval today. I want to echo your um, <clears throat> sentiments with staff. This has been a, a pretty heavy lift over the last two years to stay on the accelerated work schedule, so we're very excited to be meeting this milestone with our request to enter engineering today. This will put the downtown rail extension, or the portal, as we're now calling it, uh, closer to the head of the line for project development projects of this type through the Federal Transit Administration nationally. We're one of the few that is fully environmentally cleared um, and is ready to um, start the rating process and advance into engineering. So it's a very exciting year for us uh, with the DTX. Uh, I won't belabor what you've already heard about RM3 and Tersip and our partners at Caltrain and their recent award and, and others. Um, just quickly to note a few things. Uh, San downtown San Francisco continues to um, struggle to bring folks back full-time to downtown, uh, but we are at about 45% occupancy, and the Transbay District is outperforming downtown as a whole. Um, specifically in the Transit Center, we opened Charlie's Cheesesteak, a fast casual takeout on January 25th. Um, we soft-launched Per Diem, a nice lunch-dinner uh, cocktail bar, kind of lovely alternative right next door, um, earlier this week, and their grand opening is on February 24th. And then this Saturday, we're hosting the opening of San Francisco Beer Week in the park. So our largest event since the pandemic started, over 1,000 anticipated guests and 30 breweries throughout San Francisco um, up in the park. So it'll bring some uh, nice exposure to the park. We've been getting some positive press from uh, members of the public and the Chronicle coming out and experiencing uh, downtown, and uh, we want to continue that momentum. The last thing I'll notice is um, our, you've heard from our Citizens Advisory Committee uh, chair tonight. Uh, we're in the process of completing the recruitment for the 2023 phase, um, and for any member who would like to get involved with this exciting project, we welcome your application through tjpa.org, and we'll be accepting applications through February 17th. So with that, I, uh, unless you have questions, that concludes my portion of the executive director's report, and I'd like to invite uh, Rodney uh, from our security team uh, to give the security update. Hello, um, Vice, Chair, uh, Vice Chair Mandelman and the directors. I'm Rodney Harris, I'm the Chief Security Officer. I'll be presenting contract security quarterly updates. So we're tracking three performance uh, indicators, personnel turnover, post-staffing, and post-staffing, uh, post and site competency testing. There was no turnover during this reporting period. However, Allied uh, hired additional staffing uh, to support vacation requests and to ensure compliance with the State of California Guard 
card uh, license. And so that was a strategy that we decided to do to uh, so that we didn't have any uh, uh, locations that was unmanned. And so we, we kind of like formed our own little uh, flex pool at the transit center to provide that vacation and to ensure that that training is done to meet the requirements for the state of California. So post staffing, uh, in addition to the staffing our critical posts, um, AUS has consistently uh, provided staffing for um, special and high profile events. Uh, and as uh, Director uh, Vanderwarden mentioned, we, we're, we're having this special event this week with this uh, beer, beer fest, and I think it's over 1,200 tickets sold thus far. And so we're, we're ramping up now, building out security uh, plans to support that event. Slide five is uh, post and site competency testing. Um, I wanna walk you through this uh, slide. Um, before an officer is hired, the, the candidates are given a tour of the facility and then uh, in our expectation. Uh, and then if they're hired, uh, the candidates, um, then we move into in-house training where we provide that training in-house site specific training. Um, and then the, sec the security officer is then placed on a work schedule and then assigned a post. And so approximately about 30 days into their um, um, being on site, uh, then we go out and we initiate a competency test. And then that test requires that the testee uh, verbalize their knowledge and understanding of the post orders and their responsibilities without any aid, any reference to post the orders or any uh, assistance. Uh, and so they have to actually verbalize the post orders and their understanding of emergency operation procedures and things of that nature. And so it, it makes us feel good knowing that, you know, we do the in-house training and then we deploy them out. And then about 30 days or so we go back out and then we have that uh, engagement with them to, to, to ensure that they're understanding of our operations. This completes my uh, presentation. I'll be glad to answer any questions. Thank you. I just have two questions. One is, can you remind me when their contract expires? Um, fiscal year 24-25. Okay, so we got a ways. And then the extra security that you're having to put in for the event this weekend, is that there are extra charges to that to us or to the event? Or? That's a great question, uh, Director Shaw. Uh, uh, those uh, extra staffing is uh, billed back to the uh, event organizers. Okay, thank you. Yes, ma'am. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, I'd like to invite uh, Ari Walsh, our facilities director, to give you the facilities report, and including a little bit more about SF Beer Week and our new uh, tenant, I forget to mention, uh, Bear Bottle up in the park. Good morning, Chair Mandelman and directors. I'm Ari Walsh, the TJPA facility director, and I'm happy to be here with you today. For our popular programs, uh, we had midday music with over 180 attendees, as well as family story time. And just a brief comment there, it is very heartwarming to see all the different groups of people interacting and having fun together in the park. Uh, and it's just really, really nice to see, especially during this cold weather. Uh, for park attendance in January, we had those lovely storms that we very much needed uh, during the first half. So you see a uh, lower numbers there uh, from 80 up to about 200, and then you see uh, the numbers spike as the weather improves. One interesting highlight, uh, you'll, you'll notice that you got a spike um, on the 24th when it was 62 degrees and sunny with 245 people out in the park. 
But also when it was 54 and gloomy on a Saturday, you had 190 plus people. So very good news uh, as far as I'm concerned. Don't want to draw too many major conclusions, but just very happy to see it. And uh, this chart shows how we've done since uh, reopening the park back in May 2021. And if you have a magnifying glass, you can compare the January 2023 um, numbers with the numbers from 2021, and you'll see that they're almost doubled. As several of my colleagues have proudly mentioned, we have our Beer Week kickoff happening this Saturday from 12 to 5. I hope you already got your tickets because we are sold out. Uh, very happy to say that. And in addition to the 30 plus breweries and live music, we've got some tenants uh, showing up with some great food like the well-known Venga Empanadas, our newest additions, uh, Per Diem and Tycoon Kitchen. With regards to transit ridership, uh, this chart's showing what uh, AC Transit's ridership has been over the entire 2022 year. And you'll notice we're hovering around this 2,000-ish number uh, in January of 2022. And then as gas prices spiked in March, you'll notice that uh, the ridership went up significantly. What you'll also notice is that as gas prices lowered, uh, the ridership continued to go up and then you see it drop off uh, during the winter years, which is an expected um, drop for San Francisco. So trying to shine some good light on the ridership, even though it is a little bit lower than we'd like. Uh, with regards to SFMTA's ridership citywide, you'll notice the orange line there in the middle. We are touching that fiscal year 22-23 target for average weekday ridership. Uh, and then again, you see that dip in the uh, colder months, which is expected. So we're hoping that number goes up much higher in 2023, right? Uh, with regards to the Salesforce Transit Center, we're actually showing similar trends to citywide, and our numbers are actually holding uh, pretty consistent with what we've seen over the last few months. For retail leasing, uh, we've got Charlie's Philly Steaks, and you'll notice some familiar faces there. Thanks for my friends who came out. Uh, it was very successful. Do not ask me how many cheesesteaks I've had. It's a lot. Uh, they're fantastic, and I encourage folks to, to stop by if you're looking for something uh, quick and easy to eat. Also, we've got Per Diem, which just had their soft opening on Monday. Uh, they're going to be having their grand opening on the 24th, which is a Friday. The fair here is fantastic. Yes, I have tried many things since Monday, and uh, I want to highlight the griddled dates. Very good. <laughs> uh, retail updates for other restaurants coming soon. We've got Tycoon Kitchen, which is going to be opening around the corner. And yes, I am knocking on wood. Their uh, tentative opening date is the 20th, but we're monitoring that closely to help push them over that finish line. I need my Thai food. And then after that, we've got Via Vi by Aqualina, uh, which will be opening towards the end of Q2, uh, probably May or June. And then for the rest of 2023, we'll have Dim Bao and Juice Bar following soon after with Show Market on the ground floor and Show Restaurant in the park level 
uh, coming on in Q4 of 2023 and most likely Q1 of 2024 for the restaurant and the park. And then we're lastly, we're working with uh, Pokey House. They're expecting to have a relatively short build out, but uh, we just haven't firmed up those construction dates yet. Nice shot of Tycoon Kitchen out front. And uh, design rendering for Via Vi by Aqualina is very much a construction site in there. So, <laughs> And last but not least, just a location overview showing all the great restaurants that are here and coming in the future on the ground floor. And then you'll see the lighter gray spaces highlighted, which are still vacant. And we're very much actively looking to uh, lease those spaces out. And we're really highlighting the amazing experiences that we offer at the park. And a lot of the um, articles and strategies these days are really highlighting experiences to bring people back into the city. And that's one thing that we are fantastic at. And with that, I conclude my presentation. Happy to answer any questions. Sure. I don't have any questions, but um, I'm looking forward to it. I actually convinced a friend of mine who lives out in the sunset to come downtown, which she hasn't been in two years. So we're going to lunch at Per Diem today. So I'll let you know how it goes. I might see you there. <laughs> Good work. <laughs> Director Tumble. Uh And Mr. Walsh, given how challenging it is to, uh, to fill and sustain retail space downtown, I really want to compliment you and your team's work. Uh, there is... Uh, there's, there's a lot that we need to do to bring downtown back, and a big part of that is making downtown active and vibrant and having there be things to do and stores to shop in and good food to eat. And you've created a node of success uh, for the overall downtown, and we are very grateful, uh, those of us who are interested in downtown's economic recovery, because we are dependent on it for sustaining our own agency. So thank you for you and your team's hard work. Making me blush. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Thank you. This concludes the executive director and the contract security and facilities reports. All right. Let's take public comment. All right. Checking for public comment in the room. Seeing none. Checking for public comment online. Also seeing none. So you have one last item. All right. Public comment on uh, I, on on. Uh, five is closed, and let's go to seven. Yes, uh, seven is an opportunity for members of the public to address you on matters that are within your ju jurisdiction, but not on today's calendar. And it appears we have one member of the public that has just raised their hand online, just checking in the room first. Uh, seeing none, uh, moderator, can you please go ahead and let the caller in? Hello again, uh, directors. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, it's unfortunate that uh, Director G, who is the chairman of the Caltrain board, is not here. So what I'm going to do is to do my best to communicate uh, to you what transpired at the last uh, Caltrain board. Uh, there was an item on the agenda to discuss the, uh, the MOA uh, for the BTX. And if you watch the recording, it starts at around the uh, one hour and 54 uh, minute mark. The presentation is 20 minutes. And that's then followed by a 40-minute discussion. Um, it started off with uh, uh, Director Heminger, who talked about not just the DTX, but essentially what he called a three-legged stool, which consisted of the, um, the transit center, Redwood City, and uh, Diridon. 
And then at that point in time, uh, the uh, mayor of Palo Alto intervened and said, well, do you know we're going to have all these train traffic? We really need great separations. So when they added up um, all the numbers together, they ended up with a total of $25 billion, not $7.5, $25 billion. And um, so in wrapping up here, I think moving forward, um, if we want to be successful with this um, project, um, we need to do a better job of communicating with all the uh, stakeholders all the way down the line between uh, San Francisco and, um, and Giroy. And I'll give you an example is that, as you mentioned earlier uh, on the operations plan, you're talking about six trains, four, four to the uh, transit center and two to Fort and King. If the mayor of Palo Alto had known that, he would not have made such a big issues of the great separations because quite frankly, as long as that's all you're going to be operating on the line, they're not, they're not going to be more necessary than they are now. Thank you. Thank you, caller. That concludes members of the public that wanted to address you under that item. And uh, that concludes the business before you today. All right, then we're adjourned. Thanks, everybody. That was